We meet today in Isaiah chapter 34, the final world clash, bringing us this subject of the battle of Armageddon. This chapter brings to an end the section which in my outline I call the kingdom process and the program by which the throne is established on the earth. Judgment has been the theme all the way through this section. We have looked at six woes and followed a progression in this matter of prophecy. We saw both local situations and global situations. We saw local situations and future applications of the prophecies. A local situation into which Isaiah spoke and then watched him move into that broader area as he looked down through the centuries to the time of judgment that was coming in the future, which the Lord Jesus called the Great Tribulation. Beyond that, we saw the coming of the King. And indeed, whenever we read this uh, chapter of the Bible, we must always be reminded, as much as Isaiah was addressing issues that we had local situation applications, we must also realize he was talking about that which will ultimately happen, and it has not yet happened, particularly the battle of Armageddon. In our day, we are not looking for the king. We are looking for a savior. That is what makes the difference. We are looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our savior, Jesus Christ, according to Titus 2 verse 13. You see, after Jesus takes the church out of the world, those who remain will go through the frightful tribulation period, which will end with the war of the campaign of Armageddon. But meanwhile, my friend, let us look for a savior. And the savior is not very far from each one of you. It's a matter of calling on the savior who invites you even today. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The Savior is inviting. His arms are wide open. He is saying, come home. Come, I will accept you. I will take you in. That's the great invitation. But this chapter is actually in contradiction to the philosophy of the world. You see, man expects to improve the world by his own efforts that he will build a utopia. And so people think we can improve the world. Indeed, we can improve to a little extent by building houses, by building better homes, by improving in the field of medicine, by improving in education, by bringing uniform civilization. Man is looking forward to building an ideal place on the earth. That won't happen apart from God. You see, man plans to bring in a millennium, although he may call it something else. Man thinks he is capable of lifting himself by his own footsteps, by his own bootstraps. The basic philosophy of evolution, and evolution is a philosophy rather than a science actually, is that there is improvement as we go along. 
it is onward and upward forever. Or as the slogan has it, every day in every way I am getting better and better. Well, man has woven this philosophy into the fabric of his mind, his life. He thinks we are moving into something which is great and good. Now, the word of God also looks forward to a wonderful future for this earth. But it is not the consummation of man's effort. Everything that man has built apart from God is coming under a frightful judgment. That's a sorry state of affairs. All of man's work is contrary to God and must come into a final conflict. That conflict is set to happen before us here as the battle of Armageddon. The sin of man will finally be heaped up in the man of sin who will attempt to bring in a kingdom for himself. And that kingdom is the great tribulation period. It can only be ended with the coming of Christ to the earth to establish his kingdom. So this chapter looks entirely to the future. The Assyrians have disappeared. It is now talking of a future. Delish made this accurate statement and he says, We feel that we are carried away from the stage of history and are transported into the midst of the last things. Well, now these last chapters are the last steps whereby our prophet rises to the heights at which he soars in chapter 40 to the end. After the fall of Assyria and when darkness began to gather on the horizon again, Isaiah broke away from his own time. The end of all things became more and more his home. It was the revelation of the mystery of the incarnation of God for which all this was to prepare the way. However, we have a prophecy as elsewhere we have a history of the woes of the Lord which are sure are all both righteous and successful. This world as it is, his creature, he does good to. But as it is in the interest of Satan, who is called the God of this world, he fights against. And you see, Satan is going to crown himself personified in the Antichrist there, the man of sin. And that great battle is coming. Now listen to what the word of God says in Isaiah 34 verse 1. Come near, you nations, to hear, and heed, you people. Let the earth hear, and all that is in it, the world and all that comes forth from it. You notice here, again the invitation is given clearly. Come near, you nations, to hear. And heed, you people, let the earth hear and all that is in it hear, the world and all that come forth from it. The invitation here is universal, my friends. In Isaiah 1 verse 2, God called the heaven and the earth to witness his judgment upon his people Israel. This is what he said. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. So in this chapter, God calls 
only the nations of the earth to witness his final judgment upon the nations. Why? Why? Because when we read in God's word, even in Psalm chapter 2, there is a judgment on people. Why do nations rose? Why do Gentiles gather plotting to come up with something against God? It is the nations, particularly through their leaders, who tend to claim sovereignty as if they will not be judged. Even when they think they have become superpowers, they think that they are indispensable. The fact is, they are dispensable. God can do without them. Now he invites them to come near and see what God will do. He judges the nations. Now, that invitation is a good invitation to those who have refused to hear. But it is only good in that they will realize that God is on the throne. Largely, it is bad because they will be judged. However, that day would be a glorious day for the righteous, those who decide to follow God now, because that judgment will not befall them. They will only behold and see the reward of the wicked. For the indignation of the Lord is against all nations, and his fury against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter. You see, God is angry against the nations. And then he pours out his anger on all their enemies and he destroys them. He gives them over to slaughter. That's a vivid description of God's judgment. Observe carefully the words chosen here to depict the judgment. Indignation, fury, utterly destroy and given them over to slaughter. These words are carefully chosen to show the intensity and the seriousness of the judgment. They are the strongest possible expressions that could be used. The judgment here is universal and it is severe. It is not only the time of Jacob's trouble, according to Jeremiah 30 verse 7, but it is also the time of the earth's travail. Our Lord Jesus Christ spoke of this as a time of suffering that will be unparalleled in the history of the world. The seals, the trumpets, and the balls in the book of Revelation all intensify and confirm this. Whether you believe it or not, the earth is moving towards a great catastrophe, and that catastrophe is a judgment of God. Instead of a wonderful day coming for sinful men, a time of judgment is coming. As we look around us at our contemporary civilization, everything we see is going to come under the judgment of God's mighty hand. We build beautiful, impressive buildings. We have done so much, but judgment is coming. We have built our cities. We have planned our streets, our highways all the infrastructure in place, but without God is coming into judgment. Also their slain shall be thrown out, their stench shall rise from their corpses, and the mountains shall be melted with their blood. Again, this description is to me the most terrible and repulsive in the Bible. I can't think of anything worse than this. And it confirms what the Lord Jesus said. 
when he was here on earth and what the book of Revelation teaches about the coming judgment upon this earth. What shall be happen? The slain means those who are killed will be thrown out, but they will be smelling all over the places and the mountains shall be melted. All the hosts of heaven shall be dissolved and the heavens shall be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down as the leaf falls from the vine and as a fruit falling from a fig tree. Isaiah 34 verse 4 Peter confirms that this is what will happen. These things will be removed. When you see a little leaf from a tree, you can attempt to glue it back on the branch, but it won't stay and it won't leave. Just as surely judgment is coming and you can't keep it from coming, my friend. There is only one thing you can do. Make sure that you have shelter today. Listen to God and remember that the Lord Jesus is the shelter in the time of a storm which is coming upon the earth. I like this, the hymn, Rock of Ages, clapped for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Where will you hide? Hide in the Rock of Ages, Christ Jesus. We now move on to Edomia, which represent all of God's enemies. For my sword shall be bathed in heaven. Indeed, it shall come down on Edom and on the people of my case for judgment. Isaiah 34, verse 5. Now, this verse says God bathes the sword in heaven. And this is very important to see. When you and I take the sword down here, it is for vengeance or some ulterior motive. But when God takes the sword, it is for justice and righteousness upon the earth. His word is birthed in heaven, and it is going to fall down in judgment. His word is going to come in judgment. Edom here is Esau, and Esau represents the flesh. Esau represents all in Adam who are rebellious against God and his people. God said, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hurted. Romans chapter 9 verse 13. So Edom, because of her relentless hatred toward Israel, is singled out from the nations as the object of God's fury. She was to suffer a fate like that of Babylon. Twenty-six centuries of desolation bear witness to the truth of this prophecy. We read in Malachi chapter 1 verse 4, Even though Edom has said, We have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, They may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness, and the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. This is scary, my friend. When you resist God, He might even come to a point where you will say, you will build things he brings down. You go back to build again, he brings down. It is a fearful thing, my friend, a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of God. Sinner in the hands of an angry God is not in a safe place. But God gets angry at sin. 
You see, God will judge Edom because they are against God and against his people, against his word, against everything that is right and good. And God says, I will judge. They will build. I will bring down. They will build. I will destroy. They will try to rise up. I will put them down. So what is the intention of the Lord, my friend? Well, let's move on. For it is the day of the Lord's vengeance, the year of recompense for the cause of Zion. Isaiah 34, verse 8. Well, this is the day of the Lord's vengeance. We will see this again in Isaiah 63, verse 1 to verse 6, which reads this way, and I would like to read it, the Lord's day of vengeance. Isaiah 63, verse 1 to verse 6 says, Who is this coming from Edom, from the city of Bozra, dressed in red? Who is this dressed in fine clothes and marching forward with his great power? He says, I, the Lord, speak what is right. I have the power to save you. Someone asks, Why are your clothes bright red as if you had walked on the grapes to make wine? The Lord answers, I have walked in the wine press alone, and no one among the nations helped me. I was angry and walked on the nations and crushed them because of my anger. Blood splashed on my clothes, and I stained all my clothing. I chose a time to punish people, and the time has come for me to save. I looked around, but I saw no one to help me. I was surprised that no one supported me, so I used my own power to save my people. My own anger supported me. While I was angry, I walked on the nations in my anger. I punished them and poured their blood on the ground. This is Isaiah chapter 63, verse 1 to verse 6, according to the New Contemporary Version. That's a sorry state, a description of God's determined move to destroy all wickedness. But he is taking us somewhere. You can't do anything to stop God's intention. Just like there is nothing you can do to stop Victoria Falls from flowing, God says that things have to be made right upon this earth. To make them right, he has put down the evil and the rebellious men upon this earth. Many people will not bow to God. But since this is God's universe, where will they go, my friend? He has only one place for them, which is called hell hell. You may have your own concept of hell, but undoubtedly it is a lot worse than a place of literal fire. There is tormenting there. Now the rest of this chapter continues to describe the desolation, the depopulation of Edom. This becomes a symbol of God's judgment on the Christ-denying nations of the world. And Edom figuratively appears as Babylon in the book of Revelation, especially chapter 18. Instead of a great civilization, it shall become the habitation of wild animals. The depopulation of the area is also emphasized in the words confusion and emptiness, which are the same words used in Genesis 1 verse 2, where they are translated without form and void. 
Instead of a great civilization, it shall become a habitation of dragons or jackals, meaning that the depopulated areas of the world shall become the habitation of wild, scavenger-like animals. The chapter ends with a reference to the book of the Lord, which is apparently the book of inspired prophecies and probably refers to Isaiah's own writing. So severe will this coming eschatological judgment be. The reader needs to be reminded that it is part of the divinely inspired prophetic scripture and therefore it will certainly come to pass as God has predicted it. My friend, God's word is inviolable and the Lord Jesus said, For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. That is according to Matthew chapter 5 verse 18. It is wise to read the weather report, my friend, when a storm is focused to make arrangements to escape. Now, are you ready for the coming of the Prince of Peace, the Judge and the King, who is Jesus Christ? You can prepare for the storm that is coming, but are you prepared for the great judgment that is coming? You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs, so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please write to the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park 1620, South Africa. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for, and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me give you that address again. It's the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620, South Africa.